This is The Next Turn, the home of conversations about skiing, ski racing, and sport. I'm your host, Martin Wilson, and after a lifetime as an athlete and a coach, and with a continued love of skiing, I wanted to take a deep dive and have honest conversations with the sport's most successful athletes, coaches, and forward thinkers. So join me in my pursuit of better, to be better athletes, better coaches, better parents, and better fans. This week, a conversation with Jason Gary, Scott McGrew, and Catherine Selesky. Welcome back to the next turn. It's good to have you here. And always, it's good to have Jeff and Kara here. Kara, how are you? Super awesome, Martin. And I know that uh, out there, there are a lot of people like me who grew up on very small hills and that uh, turned it into a skiing career. The stuff I learned on was basically, you know, a 60 meter vertical drop slope at Chicopee in Kitchener, Ontario. And from there, uh, I left Ontario when I was 20 and traveled the world with my skis, competing all over the place. Little places like this, like Powder Keg and Rota Run, Loch Lomond, basically these tiny little ski hills are boiled down to the essence, essence of skiing. They're not fancy, they're uncluttered, don't have a lot of people there. There's no West Elk Lodge type of infrastructure. Um, some of these places don't even have chairlifts, just surface lifts. And you know what I'm talking about, hey Jeff? Yeah, Kara, you know, I was head coach at a little small place near Horseshoe Valley called Pine Ridge. And uh, I was one of 52 uh, family owners of this hill that was not for profit that just wanted to have this community ski hill. And we ran it like a family. And our, my kids grew up skiing on this little tiny 250 foot vertical with one surface lift and one two chair. Uh, I'll never forget setting a race course one day and my little guy, I think was three at the time, yelling at me from the chair and one of the parents had taken him up just because of his name tag. So yeah, these, uh, I mean, this is a great co conversation with uh, Scott McGrew of Sun Valley Ski Education and the volunteer director at Rotorun in Haley, Idaho. And you're going to hear him talk about the community sense there. Catherine Seleski from Past Powder Keg, also the director at a community-run ski hill, which you just don't see enough of. And Jason Gary, who I know uh, Martin grew up skiing with and is a, is a longtime family friend at Loch Lomond. It was an absolute treat to talk to all of them. Um, and I think this is a conversation that makes you feel a little nostalgic and it makes you feel pretty good. And I hope you enjoy it. Here is Scott McGrew, Catherine Seleski, and Jason Gary on the next turn. I think some of what's happened with COVID is a pretty good, interesting example of the pros and cons of the nimbleness and the ability to adjust. Scott, can you talk a little bit about, just before everybody got on, we talked a little bit about some of the advantages that a situation like COVID can present because of the way that you rethink it, not only in the business, but in the sport. Can you think a little bit about where you're sitting right now with Rotorun and, and what you've had to, to change and adjust and what you've learned? Yeah. I mean, you know, there was like um, a pretty amazing celestial alignment of stars because, you know, when we got involved, I got involved First, as the executive director of, of our local ski club, the Sun Valley Ski Education Foundation, which is like my day job. And then um, just for back reference, I'm the volunteer uh, director of Rotorun Ski Area. And I was approached, you know, 
four years ago by the board and it's a nonprofit ski area. Right. And they were, they were going to close, you know, they were going to close down. So I got involved, you know, as basically like a, uh, you know, and, and, in sort of an emergency capacity to keep this place going. Of course, this is where, you know, I learned, I learned how to ski when I was a child. So it's like sacred earth. Right. So many of us did learn on places like this. And, and I know this conversation is going to go there. Just some of the industry, sort of trends and the evolution of the industry with the, you know, with the multi-resort passes with the icon and the Epic and what that is actually doing at the grassroots and the entry level, um, you know, the sort of the ground floor of the industry, which I think now is, is really, you know, needs to be talked about, you know, and I, I know everyone on this call believes in that, but, you know, I got involved because this place was going to join the other, you know, you know, other 80 resorts, at least in the States, that's gone away in the last 15 years, you know, like there's some pretty, pretty scary stats out there, you know, where 30% of the, of the current industry in, in the United States, I can't speak for Canada. I'd love to hear about it. You know, what's happening um, up there, but you know, is that risk because of a failure of infrastructure, sort of a failure of a, of a destination um, traveling customer, and they serve really their local populations and just the profit margins aren't there for little scurries like that. And so there's like a lot of wobbly terrain that, that places like Rotoron stand on. And so this place was getting shut down. So to, you know, so when I came in, we basically just stripped this whole thing down to its bare bones. We closed the kitchen. We didn't have, uh, we weren't doing any rentals. We really just pulled the, you know, the PL and the expenses down to the bare minimum so we could stay operating. And then I went out and started fundraising and started to, you know, basically re-envision how a little ski area works in a ski town like Sun Valley, where I live. Sun Valley, Haley, the Wood River Valley, if you're familiar, it's, you know, there's a major resort up the road. And this one, this little ski hill is in Haley, which is where, you know, 80% of the families live. It's sort of the population base that, you know, services and, you know, makes a community like this work. And so, you know, we pulled this thing back to its bare bones. And then I started to started to think about this differently, started to give it away. We started to do free skiing on Friday nights to the community. We started to do, you know, a lot more proliferate the after school programming to just sort of reignite the curiosity of the community and the, the why of a place like this matters. And that's been sort of a multi-year pro process and was able to raise, you know, um, about $600,000 to put in snowmaking, which, you know, I identified from day one, it was like, without snowmaking, you really, you become obsolete really quickly. You know, if you have snow, you can operate. If you don't have snow, you can't operate. It's really hard to build, you know, a client base. It's hard to build reliable programming, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we went on a, a significant fundraising campaign to get this done. And this last summer, um, you know, last two years, we've been actually in the construction of this project. So that we've completed the, the system this last summer and COVID hits, COVID's happening. You know, everyone needs to, if they want to do anything, they got to be outside, right? So we had already sort of pulled back on the lodge and the amenities. That's not a piece of our, you know, our business. And we really focused on just what the outside experience was. And so we, we created like a tailgating scene here where you can like pull up right on the, on the snow, you know, and you come out here on a Friday night and it's like the whole town is here. 
right? And they've got fire pits and they've got hibachi grills. And we have this super funky Palma lift that came off an Austrian farm, you know, in 2000. So it had a life before it got here. Um, and it's a single, it's a single lift, it's a single chair, right? And so uh, as you queue up, everybody is single file, you know, and when you're in a tip to tail arrangement like that, you've got your, you know, you've got your um, appropriate distance. And so it was like uniquely qualified to be COVID proof, you know, and it just, you know, the community came out and they were like, you know, we've had a huge, huge winter for us relatively, you know, last year we had 3,500 skier days. So we're talking small, most of those like kids, you know, kids programs. And, you know, this year we're going to, you know, we'll get upwards of 12 or 14,000 skier days, which for us is like a massive, you know, massive growth. Right. That's so great. That's so great. Um, Catherine, I want to talk. Uh, can you tell us, just give us the, the short strokes on past powder keg, would you like the town, the community, but the hill itself, like you, you guys all have like smallish hills or smallish communities right and that's that's the connection I, but i i think there's some big ski in there um talk to us a little bit about um give us the short strokes on on past powder keg would you please Catherine? yeah so past powder keg was founded in 1938 uh as the blairmore ski club and so someone cleared some land in blairmore uh when it was an individual town and they started skiing here so it's it's got a long history and it's always been a not-for-profit or a municipal asset so in the last few years, um, it's kind of transitioned more to a municipal asset. So we're kind of like a town rink. You know, in Canada, this is the hub. This is where everybody is. We have two tea bars uh, from the 80s that had a life in Europe before they got here. Um, They're put in for the Canada Winter Games uh, in the 80s. Our, we've got a little handle toe. Our lodge is mid-mountain. And the bottom of our lower tea bar actually ends on a municipal street. So you can walk right from your house to the ski hill. And we do have kids doing that. We have kids dropped off there all the time. Uh, so we do have some bigger skiing with our terrain, but it's a really not a big snowy area. This is just kind of like the town rink where it's the community hub. It's right in the middle of the five communities that make up the Crow's Nest Pass. So it, you can see it from the highway. We've got big snow, like good snowmaking. We've got great lights. And so it's this really funny little community hub. Um, two thirds of our municipal youth have a season's pass here. Um, some days we're a big babysitting operation. Uh, some days we're not. But it's a really kind of cool way to look at skiing is just a place for your kids to be. And they're here from the minute we open to 10 minutes after we close. We only have about 5,000 people in the municipality. So really small population base and aging, but people are starting to move here with COVID. They want to get out of the cities. And so they're moving to this cute little mountain town where there's honestly a ski hill in someone's backyard. You know, we have, our patrollers have leashes because the dogs are always on the hill, right? We know the resident problem dogs that come for hot dogs and French fries and that's kind of our life, right? And it's it's a great place to be. God, I love it. Jay, you got to think Loch Lomond's pretty fancy, like with your quad chair and the front side, back side. Why didn't you tell everybody a little bit about um, my home hill, Loch Lomond? It's funny, actually, to kind of come full circle with this since you, you and I both grew up skiing here. And uh, we're part of the Nancy Green Race program when we were kids. And moved on through the rest of the 
you know, the local local race scene together, which is which is actually kind of funny. I think we started somewhere in the late 50s, around 57, I, I believe, was the... Uh, 1956, Jay. Uh, it's 1956. There you go. I, I, you're fact-checking me here, so that, thanks for that. 56, um, you know, started started by, uh, I guess, a little bit of uh, Canada's skiing uh, who's who with uh, with Bill Irwin and then his, his sons, Danny and, and David, who uh, both uh, were part of the national ski team, obviously. I think everybody's quite aware of David Irwin. But yeah, so that was, you know, the home hill of everyone growing up. Um, photo over here on the wall. These are some of the original drawings of the first T-bar that went up the, the Jolly Giant. Uh, facts that you might not know, Martin, actually, it was built by my great uncle and, uh, and my, my grandfather. Oh. So kind of a kind of an interesting story. So that's kind of a neat local tie-in was that actually, you know, my family was part of this for a long time um, prior to, uh, you know, I guess 19, whatever, what is 2014 when we took over. So yeah, kind of a neat, neat backstory to that. Um, you know, it's kind of gone through its up and downs. The city of Thunder Bay um, at one point, was uh, was just a skiing powerhouse. I think we supported five um, robust ski areas. Um, you know, nothing major. I think we have the the best vertical around here, which is about 800 feet. Um, you know, 27 runs, quad chair, two double chairs. Um, you know, pretty active community. Um, but back in the day, when we when we actually had five ski areas that were in operation, you know, I. And this kind of is where we started, you know, as kids, the, everything was running, there was programming everywhere, you know, everybody talked about skiing. And then I think over those years, it started to, to fall off. So currently in the, in the city, we have two ski areas that are still operating, um, you know, with a city population of about 110,000, roughly, uh, CMA of about 150,000. Um, you know, I guess we're as close to the, uh, the prairies as you can get without being in the middle of them. So it's kind of an interesting place to put, put a couple ski areas. Um, but yeah, so we've, uh, when, when we, when we finally uh, took over the operation, like I said, back in 2014, uh, we had seen the kind of the, the local traffic dwindling. Um, actually the year we came on board with this, the, uh, we didn't even have a skiing and school program left. We, uh, our first season here, we had 836 members, which was uh, appalling, I guess, as far as I was concerned. Uh, and since then, we've, we've been working, you know, working our tails off. We've put together skiing and school programming. We've got, you know, like Catherine, like you were saying, you know, the kids who come out when we open and they stay until we close. We're open seven days a week now. Um, you know, this year... I think if we hadn't had the COVID thing, we probably would have broke 4,000 numbers, but we're just under, um, you know, our skier visits in year one, one were like, I think it was like 17,000. And I know last year's numbers came in we were close to 60,000. So we're, uh, we're well on our way to getting, getting back to where we think it should be for, you know, the small hometown Hills. Uh, some of the big things that, you know, we, we think, and it's funny, I was, I know I was uh, about a minute late getting in here, but my son, he's part of the local race program. And every day we run seven days a week. These kids come from school and they go straight onto the hill and they just lap and lap and lap. And we've got a slalom course set up and I was watching him come down and I wanted to catch his last run I could get before I had to 
también. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. And as always, share your thoughts of the day with us at nextturnpodcast.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Next Term Podcast. Now back to our deep dive into small hills with Scott, Catherine, and Jason on The Next Turn. You both mentioned um, like sort of the babysitting service of the mountain. Right. And kids being dropped off. I was that kid. I was dropped off with two pair of pants for when I peed my pants. I could switch at lunch and I could still go in the afternoon. That's how I grew up at Loch Lomond. Right. So I was raised by the mountain. Um, but that that's I think that's something small hills can do that big hills can't do anymore because of the independence. It's a safe place when when you drop off your kids at Rotor Run. They're going to be looked after and the hill can raise them and the community can raise them. Can you speak a little bit to that, Scott, and, and the value of that in your community? Yeah. Um, you know, one, one thing that you kind of, you don't, you know, it's not sort of screaming in your face, but we don't have an aerial chair here. It's all surface lifts. We have rope toe and then we have the palma that I referenced. And, you know, it's kind of amazing how um, at ease that puts parents on the young end, not having to worry about a child falling out of the, out of the, out of the chairlift. So you can like literally leave your four-year-old and your five-year-old to their own devices to just play, which is, is brilliant. Moms and dads and families will come down here and tailgate and hang out. And then the kids are sort of free to play. So they don't need like a lot of, of real handholding and chaperoning once they have some basic skills. So it's, it's just like a really a great place for having eyes on the children from all down, you know, making sure nobody gets lost, no, nobody gets hurt, you know, and, and having, um, you know, having a place to go after school is key. Like Sun Valley Resort up the road, which is like a world-class resort, they close at four o'clock and there are, there's no night skiing, um, which if you think about it, most of the schools, in, at least in our community, release at around 3.30. So it's really like an impossible equation for the children to have an after-school ski program, unless you have, you know, Rotorum, you know, this project, this, this mountain that I'm involved with, because we open when school closes, when school's out. And that's like, at least in our community, that's a big, that's a big deal as far as access and bringing more kids into the sport, unless you're, you're willing to really go through some radical hoops in order to participate, like in, in more than just a Saturday, Sunday uh, capacity. Yeah. Catherine, Jason mentioned the fifth grade program. Do you have anything sort of in that line? Yeah, so we, we do school programs, like our local school that was here today, they walk over from the school and they, because they can't use the lodge, so they just wander over and sit on their benches. And so that's been a great program. We've really cultivated the schools coming in. Um, but we have this Learn to Turn program. And we actually found it from Killington, Vermont. We were reading a magazine one summer day and found this program and thought, we could make this work. And so it's four lessons, four lift tickets, four rentals for the first year was like 225. And then they get a season's pass after. And they get half off seasonal rentals. And they get 25% off the next year's season's pass. And so we started doing this on a bit of a lark to, to build our snow school and kind of create a formalized snow school. Because before it was just someone would rock up, they'd want a lesson, we'd find the snow school instructor, we'd pull them out of the kitchen or out of the lifts or wherever we'd find them. And they would teach this lesson and 
there was no kind of formality or structure to it. So now we do this learn to turn program. They get a certificate. We on a normal year take photos and post them. And so it becomes this like this part of their identity where once they've done it four times, they start identifying as a skier, snowboarder, and then they become hooked. And so now for the first year, it was those people that are really early adopters, right? Dad skied and mom never did. And they got married and had kids and dad's missing the mountains. So the, he'd, he'd throw all these people in this program that had no reviews or anything. And now it's starting to grow. And it's been a huge thing for us because it gets the whole family out. It's affordable. The perks are worth it. And then they come back to us because you always remember where you learned to ski, right? It's, it's sacred ground where you learned. So it's a big thing for us. I love that. That that's true that you like it's sacred ground, it's sacred earth. Like every time I go back to Loch Lomond and and, and I ride the chairlift, I cry the first time up. I and to God. Like it's it's like coming home and it's real. And I've been blessed. I've got to go around the world and ski, but going home to the place where you cut your teeth is real. I don't like the term entry level because we do come back to it. But realistically, I think Jay, you're probably in the best position here because you don't have a Sun Valley like a graduating hill right next to you. You don't have Fernie next to you like Catherine has. Um, you're on a bit of an island there. But how how do you see your role as an entry-level hill, like bringing in the sport, and how do you keep them in longer? Or is it just getting the family to the hill once or twice and then like making it sustainable for them? Just thinking about, just thinking about where to start here. Um yeah, that's a, it's an interesting thought that you, you know, an interesting point you raise because while I guess we don't have like a, you know, a big resort within spitting distance, the, uh, you know, I, I don't know if that's a benefit or a detriment to be honest, because we, you know, we, we have somewhat of a captive market, but at the same time, you know, with the, the ease of travel, I mean, this year notwithstanding, of course, but the ease of travel and, you know, out of Thunder Bay, you're, uh, you know, a two, two and a half hour flight, you're in Calgary or, you know, three and a half hours, you're in Vancouver, you know, so we're only talking about, you know, ver the, it's fly versus drive. So generally people then plan their vacations a little, a little more specifically, right? Like it's not, hey, I'm going to zip up to Fernie for Saturday and I'll, you know, I'll hit the past powder keg on Sunday. Um, obviously when they go, they go for a week or 10 days or whatever that's going to be. But at the same time, I think what you have then is you have people that look at this as their home base, right? So the, this is the place where they come to every weekend where they ski, whatever days of the week they do or nights or whatever it is. And it's more of a, it is more of that season destination point, um, versus the, you know, it's the kids out of the back door sort of thing. Um, but I, I mean, and that, and to add into that, I mean, Lutzen's only two hours down the road, right? So while it's not on the same level as uh, Banff or something, it still is a full resort, right? Gondolas, high-speed lifts, slope-side accommodation, ski in, ski out, nightlife, multiple restaurants. So I, I mean, you have you have that resort feel that you can get very close to us, right? And I don't know when the last time you were down there was, but it's certainly another place that's grown by leaps and bounds in the last 10 years. You know, it's just, it, it doesn't even resemble what it looked like when, you know, when you and I were kids heading down there for training camps in the fall. Um, so yeah, so it's an interesting thought. Um, 
you know, we, we, we've had some, you know, discussions, some successes, I suppose, with, with some of these bigger resorts and collective ideas and, you know, having, um, some marketing agreements with places like uh, Big White or uh, the resource, the Canadian Rockies, you know. So for people that ski with us, they could call and they, you know, get discounts on bookings for, you know, vacation style um, travel. So, you know, I, I think we're, I think we're aware of what's going on with that. And and I think we, we also know where our bread and butter is. And it's, I think it's the same as Scotty and Catherine here. It's the, you know, people coming out to, they learn to ski here, they cut their teeth here, this becomes their hometown club. Um, you know, we we do tend to push the ski racing probably more than a lot of other areas. I mean, we do also have, you know, the terrain park and that type of stuff. But, you know, like like I was just talking about earlier, you know, you've got kids out lapping up and down the hill, boom, 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 every day after school. And, uh, you know, that's that's what we see is, kind of the idea is the more people we get engaged like that, those are the ones who, you know, who when they have kids, they're coming back here and they've got their kids back and they've got them on a leash or whatever crazy program they're trying to teach them to ski with. And, <laughs> you know, we have, uh, we have a fairly good group of instructors. I think we, I think we currently have about 20, you know, instructors that work varying levels of part-time, full-time. Again, this season's a little, little low, but, on any given day, you'll see people, you know, bombing around the hill and, you know, intercepting a young young kid to say, hey, let me help you out with that. Like, it's the kind of, the concept that we're trying to do is really try to, you know, just raise the raise the level of all of all of the people on the hill from a, you know, a, I guess a host standpoint, right? You're, you're here with us. Let, us. let us help you. Let us show you what to do and, and go from there. I love that. Um Scott, you've got an interesting setup at Rotorun, you being the executive director of Sun Valley Ski Education Foundation. Um, and Rotorun, it was sort of set up as a, a side project of that. Uh, he's showing me out the window. Let's see it. We're getting a view. Come on. This is six. Ah. Uh, Scott, that's awesome. Yeah, I, uh, you know, Jason was talking about being a little late to this call because he was watching his, his, one of his kids uh, training and that's what's going on behind me. I've got two of my own kids out back here and we've got a little skier cross track that we cut in and we've got four or five slalom courses set right now. And, and we're a small hill, you know, and how do you make a small hill more interesting? You, you set environments, you know, and uh, environments are ski racing or, or skier cross or terrain-based learning. And so like, we've been really playing around with making a little hill really interesting and captivating. And not only that, I mean, you know, you start looking uh, at the sport of ski racing, if you want to, you know, talk about that in particular for a moment, like this is, this is a, you know, for a long time, our community, the club, you know, that I work for and, and the executive director of Sun Valley Ski Education Foundation, you know, we've got um, a lot of like Olympic heritage, you know, Peekaboo Street learned how to ski right here behind me on uh, at Rotoron. And then, of course, Kristen Cooper and, you know, like a Gretchen Frazier back in the 30s, like a very deep, deep heritage of ski racing in particular. And um, it's a big deal in our town. And it's a very, it's a, it's very in, you know, weaved into our DNA and, and in the, in the American West, it's, it's really interesting because there aren't a lot of little hills, you know, most, most of all of this, 
um, the industry is defined by these larger kind of resorts. And as you all know, like the average daily ticket for these resorts is somewhere in 150 bucks, right? Unless you own a season pass, which, you know, the, the Epic Pass and Icon Pass is dropping the cost of, you know, the, the season pass, but it's actually raising the cost of entry for someone who is going to just show up at the ticket and buy, you know, a, buy a ticket to ride for the day. It's like, it's akin to going to, you know, to the airport and saying, I need to get to Boston. I need to go right now. And I'm willing to pay what it takes. I mean, that's, that's sort of like the, the comparison, but, you know, if you start to roll back and you really look at, um, at skiing and what it takes to be a world-class ski racer, particularly these days, you need to teach a slalom turn and that's about it. And then that's like the stem cell move. And then you can go on and become a downhiller. I mean, look at, you know, Steve Nyman, he was the world junior slalom champion, Lindsey Vaughn, she started at Buck Hill, you know, like there's so many, you know, Bodie Miller was a slalom skier. There you go. I mean, you, you see these, you start digging in and I, you know, I, I really love listening to people like Phil McNichol or others talk about this because they've got such a keen sense of like the individual stories of these athletes, but there's such a strong and powerful correlation between small hills, lots of repetition, lots of intentional practice, lots of play, lots of fun with ultimate like world success, right? Global, you know, international success. And you know, like for a long time, our community was trying to figure out our, the club that I work for. Are you like a community-based club or are you an elite program? And it's taken, you know, sort of years to totally change the question and change the framework where it's, you know, those are not mutually ex exclusive concepts, right? They're actually very inclusive. And you start looking at uh, you know, our European models. And I listened to Phil on your podcast the other day. He was in Italy at the time talking about these little ski hills, how they're very supported by their community. There's virtually 100% participation by the youth from those communities. And these kids find their way up through the system. And, you know, when you have to um, basically win the lottery to just participate, particularly to be a ski racer because of the costs and things, you know, it's it doesn't take a huge stretch of the imagination to wonder, you know, why we struggle on the international stage, you know, as far as depth and we have our superstars and we have, you know, we have some magnificent things happening. I don't want to take that away from anybody, but we don't have and considering, you know, that, you know, 500 resorts in, in America, not even including Canada. I mean, we should be better. You know, we, we really should be. And I think some of these things have gotten away from us at a cultural level and at a way at like an athlete management level. And so, like what we're trying to really do here is shift the paradigm where a ski club is giving back to the community rather than taking from the community. And there are some places that do this really well. Cochran's, you mentioned before we started talking, I went out to Cochran's and visited Jimmy and Tim Kelly and Barbara Ann and the crew last winter and just like poked around and they gave me a great tour, the, the sugar farm and the house, you know, sugar house and their snowmaking and things like that. And just kind of just took it all in. And it was all about process. It was all about community you know, and the results come and that's a family and that's a ski area that really, really does not compromise on their values and their integrity when it comes to what this is all about for them. You know, and it works. I mean, look what Ryan Cochran Siegel has been doing, you know, before he got, you know, injured. But um, I mean, I think that's something we really need to pay attention to. So, you know, that's what we're, that's what we're doing here is like changing the game by virtue of giving this thing back to the community and then 
you know, creating a virtuous cycle of participation, access, diversity, inclusion, you know, all that good stuff. And like lots and lots and lots and lots of repetition. Yeah. Socialized skiing. It's socialized skiing, right? Um, yeah. uh, Catherine, you, you talked about being the community rink. And to me, that's sort of socialized hockey. Um, if, 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 if the town of Crowsness Pass counts on you uh, to provide this service, how, how, how deep are you getting into the community of 5,000 people? How many kids are you getting on? Like, what's, what's the percentage of kids? Like, is it a basketball town? Is it a soccer town? Is it a ski town? Those 5,000 people, how many people are getting out there? So yeah, we're definitely a ski town, right? Our hockey teams have like maybe 40 kids. Whereas our students pass base is, is a thousand and six hundred and seventy-five of them are from Crow's Nest Pass. And then the rest, they come out for the day, they come hang out. Um, you know, so it's it's a different feel for sure. We're a quarter we're of the town. town. That's a quarter of the town. Yeah, yeah. They're and you know what? They're all here right now. <laughs> uh, I love it. but we're not a racing we're not a racing hill. And so that's been a really different thing for me. Uh, I come from a ski hill where I raced it you know, the local club, that's what we did as part of the local community. And here they kind of cut their teeth with their parents until they're six or seven. And then they're sent off on their own. And these kids, they hit all the jumps. They have every side hit mapped. Um, you know, my injury rates go down as soon as we put the terrain park in because they finally start using jumps that are safe um, rather than whatever they've built off the side of this hill. So it's it's a little bit different, you know, there isn't that strong background of programming, but we're working on, you know, building an interesting ski hill and building those interesting bases so that we can keep the engagement level, not just, I can keep them entertained at six and seven, all the way till they're 50, 60, 70. And that's kind of our challenge now, right? Because, you know, in Ontario, a lot of those ski hills have, you know, they have the Nancy Green program, then you go into the U12, U14, U16 FIS, and then they've got master's level racing. And here, uh, we have an after school program that we started two or three years ago, because we didn't have anything. We don't have a local race club. So it's a little bit different, but it's kind of, um, kind of free range skiing here. So the kids are just free range. Um, you know, we've got to deal with them right now that if they build a jump on an ungroomed terrain, uh, they have to get it approved by us first. They have to mark it every day. And then at the end of the day, they have to close it themselves and shovel it themselves. And it's working out really well because they're learning, you know, mathematics, physics, <laughs> safety, you know, risk management. And so it, it's just a little bit different. You know, it's definitely free range skiing here. The kids, you know, they've built their own tree trails and it's, everything we can do to keep this place open. You know, the municipality has been really supportive of what we're doing. We're our own department in the municipality. So we're the strange little offshoot. And it's been really cool to, to see that, but it's so different than what we're seeing in the larger industry, you know, with things going corporate and bigger. And, you know, we're just trying to keep our tea bars and our snowmaking going and the lodge, you know, it loses a couple shingles every month, you know, Moss is holding it together. So it's trying to keep this place vibrant so that we can continue this free range skiing idea. God, I love that term, free range skiing. Right, Jay, <laughs> that sounds a little bit like us, you know, when Catherine's talking about you got to negotiate with ski patrol to build a jump. That sounds like you and I at old Joe's like way back in the day. It's like, we got like an hour to build it. We got to tear it down soon. They're coming. <laughs> like, 
but the the idea of free range, I I I I just I absolutely love it, and, and the fact that you're fighting to stay alive to provide that I think is really cool. Um, Jay, what are the like you this year? Obviously, has been a struggle, and I've been really impressed watching from afar how how nimble and active and proactive you've been to to sort of deal with these putting out these fires of regulations and dealing with it. You're the groomer, you're the owner, you're the kitchen, you're the bartender, you're the rental guy. <laughs> like what are the biggest challenges for that people wouldn't know about a small hill? Like what keeps you up at night? What like gets you up in the morning? What do you deal with in those small hills running them? Yeah, that's a, that's a big question. I think, uh, I think anyone on here right now can probably, we're all in the same boat. Um, yeah, when, you know, a smaller area, we still have, you know, we still have a fair amount of people. Like we have, you know, I have a lot of good staff that we lean on. And I think, I think what's important, you know, when I, when I look around is making sure that we have quality people in those, you know, to fulfill those roles that we need them in. You know, I've got a, a fantastic ops guy. I've got a great office manager. Um, you know, the guy who runs the kitchen is, is a great guy. You know, the, the, the new guy we have out running the, uh, you know, our lift supervisor, we've had one person this season, uh, one person this season show up late and it was because the car didn't start. And generally, you know, if you're talking about lifties, that's not, that's not the norm, right? So I think it's, I think it's all of that. You know, it's all of that at the same time. You know, you have to, you have to be able to, uh, you know, be ready to step in when when something falls down because there isn't a lot of backup. Um, but at the same time, it's about, you know, pulling those those people that are close to you and that are good. You know, you got to pull them in tight and hang on tight because they don't come along very often, and without them, you're on your own, and that's not a nice place to be. You know, that's, uh, you know, what you're saying about being, you know, being the chief cook and bottle washer and groomer and snowmaker. Yeah, it's not a lot of fun. Uh, you know, we've been there, done that. And and having, you know, built that team around you, you know, a couple of really trusted people that, you know, you can rely on when it's, you know, when when things fall apart. You know, that's that's, that, that's how it is. And I think that, I, I think that's the same for anywhere, right, for any business um you know as to uh yeah to really just take hold of the people that are good and hang on to them tight and make sure that you know you take care of them because they're going to take care of you and you know it turns around and that's that's the way your community runs and you know i think the general theme of what we're all talking about is we're, we're community-based ski areas that are part of a community that are sustained by a community. Um, these aren't people that are transient that are coming in and they're, you know, slapping down vacation dollars. These are the people that live here. And, you know, at the end of the day, they're the ones that care about what you're doing. So they're also there to support you. So, I, you know, more this year, more than any other year, we and myself personally have really felt the love of our community. I think it's easy to lose sight of that when, you know, when it's just day-to-day -day normal stuff and, you know, you hear the, you know, the person who complains that the corduroy isn't quite good enough on the, you know, the run day like that day. Uh, but they didn't know that, you know, the groomer broke down the night before and we spent 
eight hours trying to repair it. But that's that's all uh, unimportant when when you run into a, a season like we've had this season. And all of a sudden, it's like all of those little things that everybody used to, you know, find to complain about or anything. It's just like, hey, we're just happy to be here. And, and you know, you, you realize that, I think. And and this year, more than any other year, like I said, is you just you just feel that. Like, we can really feel it right now. And it's nice to see that because I didn't know if we had that. And, yeah, it's just been a really – a really heartwarming, you know, heartwarming last couple of weeks to actually feel that, you know, that, that, that love from the community and all the staff kind of everybody's pulled together and said, Hey, like, this is a big deal. You know, yeah, we're, we're privately owned. We're not a community, you know, supported event, but at, at the same time, we're a community hill. You know, there's, there's no ifs, ends or buts about that. We are, we are a community supported and a community run hill because those are the people that pay for the passes that, sit on the lifts and see on our on our slopes as always thank you to our friends at 4951 check them out at 4951.com for all your lisky gates safety and training needs and now back to our conversation with our friends from the small hills scott in haley idaho Catherine in crow's nest past and jason gary in thunder bay ontario on the next turn. Scott, Jason was talking a little bit about some of the good people that he has around him to help pull this off. Um, you've got some really cool people, like obviously um, Rotorun, f- f- raising the money to pull it off is one thing. So that's obvious level of, of community to support, but you've got some really cool people real tight to you that have helped pull this off. You want to talk about a couple of them? Um, yeah, I mean, one of the, the beautiful things about a, a ski area that's been around since, you know, the 40s, you know, there's just like a lot of stakeholders, you know, and I'm, and I'm sure Jason and Catherine, you know, are experiencing that too. Like there's so much history and so many people have had like some experience with Roadrun as a lift mechanic or a ski patroller or whatever. So like the, the sort of like the community, the tribal knowledge around this place is like, you could write an amazing book about, you know, like just the culture of community ski hills and, and how, you know, and, and how it sort of like moves and flows and dances with the people that, that live here, which is really cool. And so like, I really have tried to keep the, the old timers involved while bringing on kind of the new schoolers, you know, and, and, and find like a really synergistic common ground and, and just sort of like history legacy and, and trying to like make that, you know, the, what's cool about it, not necessarily the newest or the shiniest thing. Like, you know, obviously we're not going to put together like a really fancy new lift or a new shiny lodge. It's like the history and the heritage and the people who, whose shoulders that we like sort of stand upon are a real big part of this, you know? So there's so many characters, so many characters. And I've got, you know, I'm starting to pull in like, more ski coaches who are helping and learning the trade of, of grooming and of, uh, of, of making snow. So they're more engaged in the process. And Jason was just talking about like, you know, the cat's broken, you've got hydraulic fluid everywhere, you know, and you know, scary opens at nine and, you know, people don't see what goes on between closing and opening and it's intense. And I feel like the more people are aware of that stuff, the more, you know, 
the more they are uh, grateful for what they have, you know, and I think that's a really important piece in the whole community ski area. You know, I, I used to run the race program for the Ski Education Foundation. I hired a, a guy named Will Brandenburg, you know, who's he's a you know famous ski racer, American ski racer. He's from, you know, Spokane, Washington, grew up on a small ski hill. Uh, incredible human being. And he's out here, you know, he'll be out here until two o'clock in the morning, you know, moving snow, snow guns around with another uh, young man who I hired to manage the mountain. And so he's been, you know, training up for the last couple of years, his name Riley Berman, just like a, a really charismatic, hardworking kid, you know, we've been sending him out. Uh, it, he was a ski coach for a long time. So we were, we were sending him out on assignment to go help build per, birds of prey you know, the, the downhill track in Beaver Creek and to embed himself with, you know, with course crews who are making snow, grooming snow, uh, watering snow, setting up protection and starting to look at, you know, just looking at, at all the moving parts. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to bring people who in who have a, a bigger perspective of not just fixing a cat or just making snow, but who are like really really skiers and snowboarders you know so it's it's been it's been really fun in that regard and you know it's had plenty of uh challenges like you know the learning curve for this stuff is you know important and kind of radical you know stuff can get go sideways in like such a such a hurry you know this is our first year snowmaking and like we've got some great stories of like close calls that are just like i laugh at it now but you I mean it's like terrifying work yeah you know but and it really does like really grabs your attention and, and it's you know until you told the horror stories there i was almost going to say cj you can let me in the groomer let me have the keys to the groomer right now but he won't um Kat, Catherine, can you talk a little bit about um, not only the heritage and history uh, of, of past powder keg, but th the responsibility and I, I don't know if it's a burden, but responsibility that you feel to make sure you hand it off in a better form and fashion? Yeah, of course. Like that's that's such a huge thing every day for me because it's you're not only dealing with the history, but you're dealing with generations who need this moving forward right and i'm sure you guys feel it as well we want to make sure that this this asset can be used by people for the next 80 years as well and um when i started here we were on the first year they just finished the first year this big turnaround um when they were about ready to shut the place down and they said nope we're gonna redo everything and so they ripped the band-aid off and changed changed everything and so it's thinking, okay, how do we prevent this from happening again? Because you could watch the cyclicalness of it. You know, you could see that in the early nineties, we did really well. And then we lost the manager. So not so great for the mid nineties. And then, you know, near 2000, it came back up a little bit and it ebbed and flowed. And so, you know, we had to redo our org structure and redo our financial structure and redo all of this and then look at our infrastructure and how do we grow and how do we make this wild operation sustainable. Um, because this year, if if trends keep going the way they do with COVID-19, like we've seen such an increase. And we're all of a sudden, you know, we built a skier cross this year that hopefully hosts NORAMs at some point and things like that. But how do we make sure that it's sustainable so that the next manager doesn't have this huge hold to fix? And how do we make sure that our infrastructure is in better shape? 
and how do we find the money? Because, oh my goodness, everything's expensive. And so it's just these, it's constant systems setting up. And then every time I think we've landed something, we need something different already. So it's that responsibility to, and that responsibility to our community to make sure that they have a great operation every day. You know, that our, our patrollers understand that they're not just saving lives and fixing boo-boos, they're also youth outreach. And how do they remember that and learn that moving forward and keep that spirit there and keep this local community ski hill loving life and vibrant, but also sustainable. And that's a different picture than it was 20 years ago. It's different picture than it was last year. Um, so we're doing what we can. God bless you. I wish the people listening could see this because everybody was nodding their head through every word of what you were saying. So you, you nailed it. I, I don't want to keep you guys much longer, but it's obvious that we all share a passion for community-based hills um, and skiing and what those, what those two can be when they collide. Before we leave, just real quickly, I'll, I'll go, I'll kick it through each of you here, but Scott, can you put it in words what what you do in hills like Jason's and, and and Catherine's and yours mean to you and to the sport? Like, what's the postcard version of what you believe? We're saving the mountain town. That's what I feel like we're doing. I feel like we're warriors for a you know for a, a way of life. You know, for people who choose to live and raise their children in these communities. And that's what we're doing. We are, you know, we are preserving and saving so much to uh, those of us who have had the opportunity and the privilege to to live here. God bless you. Jay? I got to say, you've, you've, you've chosen two people that speak so well, Scotty and Catherine. It's been a, it's been a pleasure actually uh, sitting here with you guys, listening and hearing what you have to say. And I, I don't know how to sum it up better. I mean, we're, we're not a mountain town. We're a hockey town. But you know what? We love skiing, and uh, I'm doing everything I can with our our little ski area and our, you know, our staff. So like our community, like we're we're engaged as a ski community, and we are doing everything we can to continue to, you know, just grow grow skiing because I think it's such a great opportunity with you know young people and families. There isn't there isn't another pastime that, you know, when when I look out on the hill and you see. You see a five-year-old and a ten-year-old and a fifteen-year-old and a and a forty-year-old and a sixty-year-old all, all all riding up the chairlift together, sharing their stories and coming down and like you're talking about multi-generational uh, experiences. You know, you've got grandparents, parents, children, and you know, it, it's just so fun to be able to be part of that. And that's you know that's the biggest thing to us is just that. We are, as we've all talked about, a community destination that that is here to foster family family growth, family life. You know, yeah, we've got everybody going through their different facets of you know life. You get your young children, you get your teenage children, and and everybody goes through that piece. You know, they have the opportunity to to grow up and you know, start to become their own person, but they're still protected because they're still in the confines of, you know, what we offer. And it's, you know, while it's not directly supervised, it's supervised by the herd, right? So we've got, you know, everybody else out here protecting that kid as he's, you know, off on his own on own route where he's feeling like he's, you know, 
experiencing life. And, and I think that's, yeah, the biggest thing for me is just, it's the fa- the family idea of it. It's the idea of, you know, getting out on the hill and just gr- growing with, growing with a community and, and being able to, you know, share that back, back to future generations and see that cycle continue to repeat. Catherine, for better or worse, I'm giving you the last swing. That's tough to follow those two. What does it all mean to you? That is. Well, that's, that's so well said. Thank you guys. Um, what it means to me is that moment of, of sliding, that look of joy when you see someone slide for the first time, whether they're from here, we've had Syrian refugees learn to ski with us. And it's that moment of sliding that's just incredible. And that's, that's when I remember what skiing is. It's that moment of freedom and that moment of, of experiencing something that's the same in every language on all snow. And it's, you know, it's that reminder that whatever else is going on is kind of not that important. It's not that big of a deal. It's that moment of, of freedom for these kids who COVID's really sucked. Um, growing up sucks, right? I'm sure there's a Blink-182 song about this. Uh, but they get that chance to go out and be free here. And that's incredible, whether you're 72 and learning or 18 months, that moment, that's, that's what it's about for me. And I'm so thankful to be at a community hill. It's so fun. Welcome back. Uh, heartfelt thanks to Scott and Catherine and Jason for a conversation that just makes me feel nostalgic and, and optimistic about our future. Um, it's time for our thoughts of the day, Jeff and Kara. I got to think that this is something you have a lot to say about Jeff, what you thinking? Yeah. You know, Martin, I mean, we talked, um, earlier, the, the three of us grew up on small Hills in Ontario and, and I echo those comments about Jason, Catherine and Scott, they should be celebrated in each of their communities because they make skiing and our great sport accessible to you know, otherwise some, these people may not otherwise have access to, like, we know it's an elitist sport for the most part. There's only a select few people that get to go and ski every weekend. And in these places, in these small Hills that we talk about, these people actually get the opportunity to go after school and have after school programs and actually get introduced to this, you know, great sport of ours. So thank you to all three of those folks and everyone else at the small Hills. And I talked earlier about our little Pine Ridge and we were so sad as you know, the family members to not be able to keep that going, but the costs just were not sustainable, right. From, you know, equipment and insurance and, and all those other things, but there's a sense of community, a sense of family at small places like that, that they talked about in, in your interview. And I'll never forget those times where we had potluck dinners and, you know, bring your own, beer and wine for lunch. Uh, your kids, they always knew where they were. They were safe. They were with another parent. They were with another friend and they, you know, they would check in momentarily throughout their periodically throughout the day, but they just loved being there with their friends and, and doing laps all day. So, and Kara, you know what that's like as skiing at a small little place like Chicopee in, in Waterloo. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Jeff, you know, when my husband Dak and I started a family, um, we looked at all the possibilities of where we we're going to put our roots down. We were living in Salt Lake City, Utah and skiing at, at Snowboard Alta. 
And for me, after living in the mountains for over 15 years, I, I found, I just kept thinking about the place that taught me a love of skiing, Georgian Peaks uh, in the Blue Mountains. And yeah, it's only 900 vertical feet, which I mean, that's teeny um, by the standards that Dak and I had been living, but we knew our kids would learn how to ski here well and, and in an intimate, unintimidating environment. This place legitimately, as you know, produces amazing skiers. And I admit, um, when I was, I was a little worried about whether or not my Colorado husband was going to like it here, but he loves it here. He loves the culture here. We've made lifelong friends. Our kids have made lifelong friends and we feel comfortable enough dropping off our kids skiing for the day. If they need anything, they're going to run into 30 or 40 other members that can help them. And we would do the same. Um, we're a small club with an amazing ski racing program. So now when we take our kids to Whistler or back to Alta Snowbird, they're able to ski all over the mountain and they're able to just do it really, really well. I love all that. For me, there's there's a few different takeaways. I love when I love the concept that uh, Catherine was talking about, the free range skiing, right? I, I very much was a free range skier growing up. We were left outside. I talked about the two pair of pants for when I peed my pants and could go back out. It was that kind of like swim in the deep end, figure it out, but was a, with a great level of support and, and many people around. I love the idea of situational learning with the physics and the math and negotiating with ski patrol and, and thinking on safety and protocol. Um, I love those ideas. I love when Scott was talking about saving the sport. I think those small hills are doing that. I think like you were saying, Jeff, like Scott, Catherine and Jason deserve a heartfelt thanks from their communities and from us. And from what Jason was saying, it sounds like as crappy as this year was, he felt the support of the community. And that makes me feel optimistic as well. And the other best thing about these small hills for me, and I'm thinking this as a coach, it works athletically. Jeff, you said earlier that it's just talk about time on snow with the surface lifts, there's just more time on snow and, and, and you get more and more reps and what's what Scott was saying in the interview is how do you make a small hill entertaining? You put in all these features. So I know that Jason's got all these different environments up at Loch Lomond and, and Catherine's got the skier cross and, and the side hill jumps and that's learning and it's environmental learning and the kids are learning and getting better without even knowing it. And it's in a safe environment and it's okay to fail there. You get picked up, you're going to get roughed up a little bit, but you're going to be raised in a free range freedom. So thank you all. I, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Jeff and Kara, thanks so much for, for your insight and steering this conversation. Um, I hope you all enjoyed it. We'll see you back soon in the next one. Be well.